I did check them. may be seated. Good morning, church fam. My name's Jonathan Chang, and I'm one of the pastors here at Cypress Bible Church. I want to welcome you this morning, and thank you for joining us in worship. As a church, we believe in beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus. And we do that as we gather in life-changing worship. We grow in life-changing truth, and we go in life-changing mission. I have just a couple of quick announcements before we begin our worship time. First, I just want to encourage you as we continue in our 30 days of prayer, each Monday morning we will send out a video devotional to help guide you. And then Tuesday through Saturday, we will email you a passage of scripture and encourage you to pray and meditate for 10 minutes on that theme. We will also be using Facebook and Instagram to send these topics to you. Together, let us seek to understand God's will. Also, we'd like to invite you on a virtual mission trip to South Asia. 
You will be blessed and God will be honored by this five-day event. From October 19th through the 23rd, we will focus on what he is doing in South Asia. And here's how it works. Each day you're going to receive an email that includes a link for that day's activities. They're designed to be done at your leisure and include video testimonies, devotionals, worship, and training along with photos and information about South Asia. On Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we will host a Zoom meeting from 7 to 8 p.m. with one of our national leaders, and this will be a time of fellowship, Q&A, and prayer. Do you see what I see when I use the word ecclesiology, a framework of what is church, why I go to church, but most importantly, how do I be the church? Ecclesia, the called out ones, an assembly, the body of believers, the bride of Christ, the redeemed. We have this duty to live and to obey much more than just singing some songs and hearing a word on Sunday. Christ is the head and we follow his lead. We are his family. We adore him and we recognize his pedigree. The son of God, God incarnate. He is perfection, died for sin, but because he's God, he rose again. We believe in our hearts and say it with our words. We say it out loud that Jesus Christ is Lord. Saved from sin, saved by him, no longer enemies. Instead, now we're friends. Those who believe become the church now. We live a life of submission and humble ourselves. And we stand together on the firm foundation of Jesus. But we can't do it alone. We need to have the fellowship, the koinonia in our ecclesia. Iron sharpens iron and building one another up. We are one body, an unashamed church living boldly for Christ. Meeting the needs in words and deeds. This is the work of the ministry. The eyes must see and the arms must reach. The feet must go and the lips must speak. Salvation in Christ alone, that is God's decree. How does church look? How about some clarity? You see, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the lion, the lamb. It's about God and his glory. So let's put our preferences aside. These things are secondary. No, tertiary. Instead, let us focus on Christ. He is the one, the Son, who is worthy. Let us rise up, arms up. Let's worship him now. Ohana, a church family living out loud. Let's make a mighty sound. Because of Christ, we were lost, but now we've been found.
Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat for just a moment. All our hopes, our peace, forgiveness, our salvation is found in the power and work of Jesus Christ. He is our victory. And when the wind and waves crash in, and they will, we can stand firm in Christ, the solid rock, for he will never falter. Just like any structure, without a firm foundation, we would surely crumble. In Psalm 11.3, David asks the question, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In this passage, David uses a physical analogy to demonstrate a spiritual concern. If a building's physical foundation fails, it surely means the end for the entire building. In comparison, the failure of God's people to build upon the foundation of truth means disaster for them spiritually. So, what is the foundation of God's church? His people? Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So, is it Peter? 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Is it Jesus? Paul says in Ephesians 2.19-20, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Without Jesus holding the foundation together, it would surely fail. As we continue to sing to the Lord, may we make the declaration that upon Christ, the cornerstone, we will stand firm. In Him, we cannot be shaken. Thanks be to God. Can we sing this together? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ the
Jesus Messiah Name above all names Come on, you sing it. Fill this place. He is God with us. Emmanuel. Messiah, the cornerstone, and upon you, Lord, our firm foundation, we build our life. Worthy of every song we could ever sing, and he's worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever sing. Lift up his name, the name of Jesus. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. He's worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. And the Open up my eyes in wonder. 
I will build my life, Lord.
Praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. How would you rate yourself spiritually? If you were going to measure your level of spiritual maturity, where would you put yourself? How would you rate? Consider your own development as a Christian. Where are you? Well, let me give you a basic scale to help you think through this. And uh, there are many different scales, uh, but this one is pretty simple. We can put that up on the screen. It's on this screen, but not that screen. Let me talk through this scale for you, all right? The, the uh, lowest one, or the, the bottom rung, shall we say, is spiritually dead. Uh, no one would want to be there, but you could be there. Uh, even if you were a church member, a very religious, spiritual person, uh, you could be spiritually dead, because that uh, represents someone who has not come to faith in Jesus Christ, who has not been born again. The, the second uh, level is spiritual infant and this is someone who has believed. They've put their faith in Christ alone. But they're either very, very new in their faith uh, and eager to learn, or, or they could be stalled there in their faith, be a spiritual infant for, for years or maybe even their entire life, not developing. A spiritual infant, uh, like uh, a physical infant, makes messes. So it's a messy kind of a, of a spiritual life, and they're, they're ignorant of the guidelines of spiritual life. That's, a, in a nutshell, a spiritual infant. The next stage would be spiritual child. And this is someone who understands the basic uh, language of faith, but can be rebellious, can be self-centered. Uh, and, and when a spiritual child does the right things, it's, it's often because of reward or threat. Either they're, they're doing this because they, they think, well, God will reward me or others will reward me or, or I'll be punished for this or I'll do this or else. And so they respond to rewards and threats. And, and you can plateau there as a spiritual child and not develop further as well. And just be satisfied that you're saved, that your life rests on the cornerstone of Jesus. The uh, next uh, category would be Young adult, spiritual young adult. They're, you're, you're eager to serve. You're, you, you think independently from a spiritual standpoint. You, you, you do need continued coaching and mentoring, parenting. But uh, you've made a, a big shift from being self-centered to being other-centered. And you're intentional about serving others. You're very intentional about that. But you're not intentional about making disciples. Certainly you can stall there as well. The, the final uh, category would be spiritual parent. And uh, spiritual parents reproduce faith in others. They are God-dependent in their lives. They, they prioritize their lives around the mission of Jesus. And, and so therefore, not only do they intentionally serve, but they intentionally make disciples, and they consciously live in view of eternity. 
Now, there are many different categories. This is just a very basic outline here, but let me tell you that wherever you might be on this scale, that does not determine your value at all. You are precious in the sight of God. But it is an indication of where and how you need to grow to become more like Jesus, to develop your usefulness in the kingdom of God, to mature in your faith. That's God's desire for you and for me to develop further. Now this morning we're going to see some barriers, some obstacles to spiritual growth. That's uh, what we see in our passage in 1 Corinthians. Um, We're studying through this letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that was uh, a bit of a mess. Uh, It needed correction. And uh, Paul, who founded this church uh, as he preached the gospel in Corinth and gathered these believers and taught them for a year and a half, finds out several years later that they're off track and so writes this letter to get them back on track. And we've gone through the first two chapters in our series so far. Now we come to chapter 3. And uh, here's how it begins. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now I don't want you to miss this. That the first two chapters, Paul has repeatedly talked about two categories of people. Repeatedly. He's talked about the natural and the spiritual. Those with worldly wisdom and those with God's wisdom. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who think the cross is foolish and those who see it as the power of God. Uh, Those without the Spirit of God and those with the Spirit of God. So those are people that, that Paul, the, the two groups. And repeatedly, Paul has told these Corinthians, you're in the saved group. You're in the spiritual group. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ. In fact, this is the fifth time he's called them brothers. And remember the Greek word adelphoi, a plural form here, uh, in context that refers to Uh, women and men collectively, and that's how it's being used here. So he's emphasizing their relationship spiritually, that he's affirming their identity as sisters and brothers in Jesus. And that's who they are, but now he says, even though that's true, I can't talk to you that way. I can't address you as if you are spiritual, even though you are. Uh, that word address, lelesai, is the Greek word. It, it occurs 22 times in the New Testament. And, and it, uh, it means expressing yourself in conversation and by announcement or through instruction. And almost exclusively in the New Testament, it refers to a message delivered from God or about God. And Paul says, I can't deliver that message to you further, even though you're spiritual. Now, after I graduated from college, I lived a little more than two years with my parents. And at the time, I was a full-time graduate student, and I was working full-time, and uh, I was uh, uh, paying a a modest amount of rent uh, as well. And so legally, I'm an adult. Um, I have adult responsibilities that I'm handling pretty well. After about a year or so in that arrangement, my dad had to take me aside and call me out. And he called me out because he said, you're acting like you expect your mom to care for you, to clean for you, to cook for you like you're 13 and not 23. And that needs to change. Well, apparently I was under the thought that the modest amount of rent included cleaning, cooking, and caring for me in every way. But that was not to be the case. He said, you are an adult, now act like one. Pick up your clothes and do your laundry. 
So I moved out. No, I, I actually spent another year there. But that's Paul's message to the Corinthians. Even though you belong to Jesus, even though that's your identity, I can't talk to you that way. I can't teach you in that way. Why? Because you're not living up to who you are. Your life does not match your identity. And so he continues in verse 2, and he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it, and even now you're not yet ready. Now it's important to understand what Paul means by milk and solid food. Milk, uh, I think these get conflated and confused at times, because clearly he has taught them the most important message that is Christ crucified. He's emphasized that again and again. That's the most important message, and it's not milk. It's not baby food. That's the reality. Everything hinges on this central truth of Jesus crucified. This, he said, is the secret wisdom of God. So that's solid food, not baby food. But what they've done is they've failed to apply this crucial message. You see, the gospel has implications for all of life. And since they struggled to apply this in the most obvious, basic, elemental ways, growth has stopped. Now, one measure of a Christian is this great desire to know more and more of Jesus, to go ever deeper into the same original gospel message and to live it out in ways that reflect the mind of Christ. And so they had taken this, this wonderful foundational truth about Jesus and they were not applying it fully in all of life. And, and so they couldn't go farther than that. Why? Were they not doing so? Well, Paul goes on to describe some obstacles to their spiritual growth. And that's what I want to point out to you from this passage. Four obstacles to spiritual growth. Wherever you are on that chart, what, what are some things that keep you from moving forward in spiritual maturity and growing to be more like Jesus? There are four of them in this passage I want to point out to you. These are not all the obstacles that there can be to spiritual growth, but these are four that the Corinthians were struggling with. And I know that they are some, then, uh, that, uh, some of us that struggle with these things as well. So uh, let's consider them because these same things might be reasons why you're not growing or even worse, you aren't as mature as you think you are. You aren't as mature as you think you are. So it begins this way. The first obstacle is fleshly living. Now I'm going to explain what that means, but look at the text, verse 3 and 4. For you are still, that's why he's answering why he can't talk to them as, as uh, adults here, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So let me teach you a Greek word that occurs throughout 1 Corinthians and elsewhere in the New Testament as well. And the Greek word is sarx. Sarx. It's an ugly word. And it means an ugly thing. Flesh. That's the uh, Greek word for flesh, sarks. Uh, it's an ugly sounding word for an ugly concept. Now this is not about your body. That's a, that's a different Greek word. Your body is handmade by God. It, it is the temple of God. The body is not something to be despised. It is something to be honored. And we'll see that later. Sarks refers to basically your sinful nature. It refers to, to your desires, that which is bound to the earth. Uh, for instance, Roman, uh, Romans 7, Paul talks about the sarks. He says, I always want to do the good thing, but I can't always pull it off. 
Uh, and there are bad things, Paul says, I don't want to do that I end up doing. Why? Because of my sarks, my flesh, my sinful nature. He said it's a constant battle, this battle between the flesh and a beautiful word, pneuma. Pneuma is spirit. Sarks, nasty. Pneuma, spirit. And Paul says, that's a constant battle, but thanks be to God for the power of Christ that rescues me. That's what he says in Romans 7. Now, it's crucial that you understand everything that's included in fleshly living. Because right away, right away you might be able to say, well, I dismiss, I'm not fleshly at all. And you're thinking about uh, casual sex and bar fights and drug addiction. No, 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 that's not all. I mean, those aren't good things. Those are fleshly. But there's a lot more included in fleshiness. And just because you don't hate your enemies... Just because you don't get drunk or just because you don't view porn does not mean you've avoided fleshly living. Because look how he describes fleshliness here for these Corinthian Christians. He calls it jealousy and strife. That's part of what fleshly living, how it can be demonstrated. In other words, your attitude, your reaction, your interaction with each other uh, represents your level of spiritual maturity. And fleshly means that you're letting your natural human impulses control you rather than the spirit. Fleshly means you're letting the sarks dictate how you respond, react, and live rather than pneuma, the spirit. And here's a common problem I've run into as a pastor. Common by means many, many times all the way through my ministry life. People who seem to be very scripturally, biblically knowledgeable who present themselves as spiritually mature, who might be seen as leaders in the church, and yet they are constantly prickly and aggressively defiant and narrow-minded and, and argumentative and opinionated in a, in, a, in a bad way. And that's the failure of the Corinthians here, Paul says. This failure to apply the truth of Christ crucified in the very basics of their interrelationships with each other. Uh, jealousy and strife, envious of what other people have or do or uh, who they are, strife, being argumentative, being, being a person who's a disruptor, always the contrarian. Now, you've got to appreciate how serious jealousy and strife is. They don't sound bad to, to you maybe, uh, but you know how bad it is? Uh, both jealousy and strife are included in lists in Galatians 5 and Romans 13, along with idolatry, sorcery, and sexual immorality. Uh, it's a pretty short list. And those three things are part of also included jealousy and strife. It's serious business, and they obstruct spiritual growth. Now, last Sunday... I recognize we all have times where we're edgy and argumentative and, and so forth. Last Sunday, uh, Amy and I came into church and we went into my office and got some things ready. And just as I'm about to go and, and uh, meet with the, uh, the worship team and pray beforehand, she says, don't talk to anybody. And why is that? Because you're pretty edgy. Because you're grumpy. Because you're a little ornery. Now, I know it's very hard for you to believe, but just suspend your disbelief for a moment and imagine that that could possibly be true. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, that happens, that, that we react that way. But Paul is talking about, here's this milieu, here's this, here's this whole circumstance in the church where there's jealousy being expressed and there's strife and ar being argumentative uh, and you're being disagreeable and self-centered and that's descriptive of who you are. 
And also, they demonstrate this attraction to certain speakers and preachers, one over the other. They prioritize one leader over another. Uh, This preference for one Christian teacher over another shows your sinful nature is in control, Paul says. Now, I I wanted to say a word about uh, something that's called discernment ministries. This is a whole category of websites and and uh, blogs and materials that you can find out there under this realm of Christian discernment ministry. And I'm sure that some of you, maybe many of you, visit one or more of these websites or are are aware of this kind of thing. Let let me tell you, I don't know them all because there are a ton of them, but I know I've visited all the most popular ones, and there are some that I I view regularly. And... um, I have yet to find one that is not in some sense mean-spirited, defaming, and divisive. Now, there's some good things in there. Yeah, there's some good things. Discernment is like they're picking out the heresy. They're picking out the wrongdoing, the, the latest gossip and rumor and problems in the Christian world. And they're putting that out there. And, and some of them are better at it than others in terms of avoiding divisiveness and, and the slander and all the rest. But uh, there's some mean spirit in this in so many of them. And, I, and you need, if you're going to a discernment website for discernment, you are going to the wrong place. The only way, reason you should go to a discernment website is if you already have discernment so that you can figure out and discern what is correct and true. So some of you probably need to stop going there. Uh, Because there's this mixture of understanding. What's causing is factionalism and jealousy and church strife. And that's exactly the kind of thing that Paul says is fleshly living. And that's a big obstacle to your spiritual growth. Here's the second obstacle. Outsourcing credit. What do I mean by that? Well, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So, so they were missing the point, apparently. They were prizing their human leader too much. And Paul says, listen, all godly leaders are just servants, Uh, God is the impetus behind all that is accomplished. And no matter which uh, leader has which part of the process, it's all God's doing. See, we have this problem of growth getting derailed because we're searching for the source of growth either in ourselves or in others. And that can never be the case. You can't outsource growth to someone else or to yourself. Uh, no, uh, now, this doesn't mean that church leaders are superfluous. Absolutely not. They are responsible to do what God calls and empowers them to do. And in fact, God will evaluate the work of uh, church leaders and, emp- and reward them accordingly. But the, here's the mistake that we make in our search for spiritual growth. Our, our, it's this thinking. If I read the right book, if I listen to the right preacher, if I follow the right spiritual disciplines, I will grow. Now, books and preachers and disciplines are important, and God may very well use them, but they are not the source of growth. Growth comes directly from God. And let me tell you right out, some of you undoubtedly put too much stock in a particular Bible teacher or a particular writer or a particular spiritual practice, and you are giving that preacher or that book or that discipline too much credit and it's not that's, that Christian leaders can't be respected and honored. They should be. But never confuse their part as the means and source of spiritual growth. Uh, Paul emphasizes, he and Apollos, we're on the same team. We're not rivals. Each one of us has a part in what God's doing. But God is the one making it happen. He's the source of all things. 
Now, one uh, principle that I teach in uh, leadership class is that all of us, as the people of God, are indispensable and unnecessary. All of us, you, me, we're indispensable and we're unnecessary. Every servant of God is indispensable because we each have a calling and a responsibility and giftedness to play part in the, in the kingdom mission of God. And yet every servant of God is also unnecessary in that success does not depend upon us. It is God. God is the one who does the work. And so when you outsource credit, that is an obstacle in your spiritual growth. Third, obstacle is inferior ministry. Pick up the theme in verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So affirm again that Christ alone is the basis, is the foundation of the church. And unless your life rests on the foundation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are not saved. Trust in the one sacrifice of Christ alone is what frees you from sin's penalty and power and brings you into the family of God. And that gospel is the foundation of the church. Now for all of you who are in Christ, your life... And my life is about building on that foundation. Uh, You as an individual, we as a local church, are building on that foundation. And Paul gives us basically two categories of building materials. Gold, silver, and gemstones versus wood, hay, and straw. And and he says that the test will be, and the judgment day, What gets burned up? What's the difference between these? One is lasting and permanent and valuable. The other is not lasting and permanent and will not survive the judgment, the, the, the critical eye of God. So what's the difference? What do these materials represent? They represent the quality of your work before God. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created to do good works in Christ Jesus. That God created you. He selected you as his child to do good things in Christ Jesus. And we all have different gifts. We all have different abilities. We all have different opportunities and responsibilities and personalities and all the rest. So what, what is this about in our work for God? It's about quality. Not about quantity. It's about quality. So, so let me point out to you, what is it? what kind of work for God, what kind of building for God on the foundation of Christ stands the test, will survive the test. Well, it's, it's about quality. First of all, quality of effort. Is this the best you can do? Whether that ministry is a great, big, uh, uh, very public, uh, worldwide display, or it's something very small and behind the scenes and unnoticed by other people, give it your all. Is it done with excellence? Is it done to the glory of God? Is, it, is, it done, is this the best you can do? Is there a quality of effort? Whatever that work is. Second, is there a quality of motive? So are you doing it for the right reasons? Not doing it so that you'll earn God's favor. Not doing it so that you'll please other people. Uh, not doing it to ease your guilt. 
not doing it to bolster your resume so you get into a better college, not doing it to uh, satisfy some fleshly desire that you have, but, but it, what's your motive? Is it for the right reasons? That's quality work. And then the third category is quality of purpose. Does it bring God glory? Not to build your own kingdom, not to enhance your own reputation, not to make yourself be seen as invaluable or to increase your reach or establish your brand, uh, but so that people will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. It's quality of purpose. And for those who serve the best they can, for the right reasons, for the honor of God, those works have eternal value. That's what lasts. Uh, That's what survives the test. Whether it's a behind-the-scenes act of service or a high-profile ministry, God will reward those people. Now, uh, in contrast, you have Christians who are successful, who do lots of good things, but are accomplishing little to nothing of lasting spiritual value. And these people can be nationally known leaders who write books and establish great ministries and do incredible things. Uh, They could be volunteers at a homeless shelter. They could be serving on a church board or a mission board. They could be soothing babies in the church nursery. But whatever they're doing is of inferior quality. Why? Well, their effort or their motive or their purpose is impure. And so when God puts it to the test, it won't last. And all those works that they thought were so good and maybe known by millions of people and so significant are destroyed and there is no reward. Now notice, this has nothing to do with salvation. Nothing. Paul, Paul makes that point very clear. Is that, yeah, if you build with the right materials, this quality, then, then you're going to receive a reward. But if what you've been building is, is the wrong thing, you're using the wrong materials, it's not the right quality, you're going to suffer loss. You will be saved. Why? Because you built on the foundation of Jesus. Now, when, when the judgment comes and everything's burned away for the believer, all that's left is Jesus if you've built with, the, with inferior materials, built to, for your own kingdom. Uh, there will be no reward because the, the, your service, your good works, your ministry were about you or about the wrong reasons or for the wrong purpose. But even those whose ministry was inferior will end up in heaven because of Jesus. What a wonderful thing. So your involvement in ministry activities, your good works, your acts of service can actually be an obstacle to your spiritual growth. Why? Well, inferior quality of effort, motive, or purpose. And right now, I just take a second and think through whatever it is that you're doing for God. And repent of anything inferior. As best you can, repent of that which is inferior And then by His grace, build what will last. Determine to do that. Now, if you're struggling to think of anything that you're doing for God, you better ask Him to show you what to do and do it. Whether it's a tiny little thing or a great big thing, you were created for good works. Just make sure they're built with quality. Fourth obstacle to spiritual growth is destructive leaders. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. That's an incredible truth to know that every single believer is God's temple. Uh, and, And that should give incredible value and purpose and responsibility to each one of you whose trust is in Jesus. And later in this letter, Paul is going to talk about how that 
fact that you are a temple of God impacts your sex life. But right now, he's not talking about individual believers. Right now, he's talking about the entire church, that when we gather as the local assembly of God's people, God is among us. Together, we form a holy building. And so just as evil as it is to destroy a person made in the image of God, it is also evil to destroy the church of God. And that word destroy might, might mislead you. Let me define it scripturally. It means to ruin, corrupt, or defile. Ruin, corrupt, defile. And it's used in scripture to talk about financial defilement, to talk about sexual defilement, to talk about emotional and physical defilement, ruin, corruption, destruction. And so in other words, if somebody messes with the local church, abuses the church, ruins the church, it is deadly business. Now, uh, national news was made in this last week or two with the Reverend Travis Clark, who was arrested after being caught in a sexual act with two women on the altar of his church. Perhaps you heard about that. The Louisiana priest was filming this sexual act with these two women, and in doing so, uh, so it could be seen through the window of the church by people passing by. So someone saw it and reported it, called the cops, he got arrested. Um, Lawyers for the women called the arrest appalling, and said that nothing wrong had occurred because this was between consenting adults. The Archbishop of Louisiana did not see it this way. He called this demonic and removed the priest from ministry, and then this week had the altar taken out of the building and burned. Why? Well, something that was holy and sacred, this altar, was defiled, was disgraced, shall we say, desecrated. Uh, certainly true with the bodies of the, the people of God here, but in a similar way, the assembly of God's people is holy. It's sacred. And the local church is sacred. Anyone who works to disrupt, to corrupt, to misuse, to ruin, to defile her will be judged severely. There are pastors who are guilty of this. There are church leaders who are guilty of this. There are church members who are guilty of this. And they don't realize who they're messing with. Leaders who are using and abusing God's people for financial gain will be destroyed. Uh, leaders and, and people who are, who are using and abusing the church for sexual satisfaction, for a quest for power and control, for a personal agenda, will be destroyed. And you say, well, how's this an obstacle to my spiritual growth? I understand how it's bad for them, but how's it bad for me? Well, if you are in a group, if you are in a class, if you are in a church, if you are in a denomination where someone like this is at work, you will, it will impede your growth. It will impede your growth. And if that disruptive leader, if that defiling member, if that deceptive pastor is not removed, you must go or you will not grow. So if you are in a, a context like that and there's a divisive member who's not dealt with, a, 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 a deceptive pastor or some other leader who's not dealt with, you, you must go or you will not grow. It will impede your spiritual growth. Now, um, I took uh, about seven years of French from fourth grade through, I think, halfway through 11th grade. French, every semester, every year. Every school day. And uh, I, I mean, I did okay. It wasn't great. Um, got decent grades. But as soon as I found out I was not required to go, I quit immediately. 
took something else that would do me. But I, I also realized if I, I remember very little now. I got little snatches, words here. You know, I can follow the, the gist of things. But even in high school, if you had dropped me in the middle of France, I would have been in trouble. I might have starved to death in a week. I, I don't know that I could have found a bathroom. I, there are some things I could ask. I, I could ask Kathy why her cat ran away. I could ask Billy to show me to the library. But my, my vocabulary and sentence structure was very limited and struggling because my book knowledge needed to meet the real world. I need to live out my book knowledge in order to have any value. So here's the point of this whole passage. When what you do matches what you know, you will grow. Now let me tell you, some of you, and maybe more than some, are confusing knowledge of Scripture with spiritual maturity. And these are not the same. Oh, knowledge of Scripture, crucial, important. But it's not spiritual maturity. And what you know needs to match what you're doing. What you're doing needs to match what you know, or you're not going to grow anywhere. So, so the question, are you displaying gracious behavior rather than jealousy and strife? Are you depending on God for growth rather than some other source for growth? Are you doing good things for the right reasons, or, or are you carrying out a, or a mediocre ministry? Are you following righteous leaders rather than those who exploit the church? Then through the foundation of Christ alone, and by the power of the Spirit, God is maturing you, and He's growing you more like Jesus. Lord, by Your grace, glory, by the power of Your Spirit, allow us as Your people to grow to be more like Your Son. We thank You for the privilege of being called Your sons and daughters. And I pray, Lord, that we would not be satisfied with where we're at in our spiritual development, but we, by your Spirit, would, would seek to go farther and, and to apply that which you have taught us, to live out the mind of Christ and how we treat each other, how we look at our world, how we view our circumstances, that you would receive glory and your church would be built up. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Oh, 
this benediction from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Praise you, Lord. Friends, aren't you glad that God is able? We serve the living God this morning. Let's continue to praise Him. Come on.
right, here we go. God is able, and He will never fail, for He is Almighty God. It's greater than all we see, greater than all we ask. 